Guys, thank you so much. Thank you for leading us this morning. Let's give a hand for the worship team. The reason I'm afraid that is because <laughs> I was looking around as we were singing, and I know even myself. Sometimes we have a problem saying, I don't want anyone else. I don't need anything else. Because we're like, am I sure? <laughs> and yet I was thinking of like a couple when they're in love. Yeah? Especially when it's fresh. Kinahana, we're just about to get married, you know. It's like they have chosen. You are the one. So you will not meet her to do with who, you know, she has chosen. She has chosen and that's it. Gabriel has chosen, you know. And it would be almost a travesty <laughs> to have it any other way. But for us, even we don't care. Them, they're the ones who, they know how they feel and why they've chosen. And I'd like us to come with that same perspective. Let us come ready to fall in love with God so that we can truly say, because tr you trust him. You, tr you know he's got you. It's not like he's trying to play games with your life so that we can open our mouths and declare these things. Amen? Amen. So we're going through Romans, and today we're in chapter 8. But before that, I'd just like to do a recap of the terminologies we've learned. So today I'm not going chapter by chapter, just the terminologies we've learned because we've been speaking about the gospel and God's love for us. Yeah? And so the first terminology is righteousness. So righteousness... I was going to ask what it is, like a teacher, but I see it's there already. <laughs> this is right standing before God. So we learned that righteousness is not acqui acquired by legalism. It's not acquired by doing certain things to get in the right place with God. It's not acquired by moralism. So it's not about doing things the way they are expected so that now God accepts us. It's not about rituals. So it's not about you get baptized or you do these other things, you get confirmed, you take communion. No. And it's not about pursuing pleasure. And you know, when uh, Pastor Kevin talked about pursuing pleasure, I was like, what, like, how can we think we'll get right with God by pursuing pleasure? Then I remembered about the philosophy of hedonism, where it's believed that the ultimate goal in life is pleasure. That's how we give God glory. And later on, even it became a part of the Roman church that they believed that there was no afterlife. This is ultimate pleasure time for just give God glory by enjoying your life here on earth to the most, doing anything you can. And the only time they restrained themselves was when they believed that that will bring more pleasure. You know, like holding back, not doing certain things. So there was that belief, and sometimes it's still there, like live life, you know. So how is righteousness actually achieved? It is achieved by faith in the finished work of Christ on the cross when he died to save us from our sins. First of all, by faith, and then only in the finished work of the cross. So Romans 1.17 says that this good news tells us how God made us right in his sight. This is accomplished from start to finish by faith. As the scripture says, it is through faith that a righteous person has life. So therefore, God does not even consider, you know, that we were ever sinner once, once he makes us righteous. And we saw the ways that we go about that. And when we were finishing that, we said, uh, Romans 1-7 spoke to us and said, To all who are beloved of God in Rome and now in Rhythm City, called to be saints, God's people, and set apart for a sanctified life, 
that is set apart for God and his purpose. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. So we saw we are loved, we are called, and we are set apart. And we saw that the church at the time was struggling where um, they would do things. So people were falling apart from the church and living lives in a way that was not pleasing to God. And this came from a place of them not glorifying God, from a place of them not being thankful to God. And we looked at the idols that it is possible to have as a result of this. And we said that if we are called, if we are loved, if we are set apart, we cannot live life the way we want. We are called to be counterculture. That's what we said. And then we went to another terminology, justification. So that was righteousness. Justification, um, Sam told us, it's where God sees us just as if we had never sinned. And then we brought in the legal aspect of right legal standing before God. So that's what justification is. It is where he renders us just or innocent. Not because of anything we have done, but again, simply by faith in the finished work of Christ on the cross. So when we are justified, we are loosed from the penalty of sin. So the law requires that sin has to be paid for. And in the Old Testament, it was through the shedding of the blood of animals. But even then, it could never be complete because every year you have to go back with more animals. But when Jesus Christ came, his blood was the perfect sacrifice on the cross that canceled our penalty of sin. Because he was the perfect sacrifice, we learned about how these things are imputed. We got sin imputed on us by Adam. It came on us simply because we are his generation. And then when Jesus died on the cross, our sin was imputed on him. And we were imputed with what? His righteousness and everything that concerns him. So that was how we receive. Um, we are free from the penalty of sin by justification. And it is received by faith simply because of God's grace. The third terminology we learned was sanctification. So we read from Romans 6, 1 to 2. Well then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? Of course not. Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? So now because we've been justified and we know our sin is covered, past, present, future, it's done. Shall we continue living in sin because then grace covers everything? And Paul says, of course not. And I, I remember I said one of the versions asks, are you crazy? You know, like how your mom would ask you when you were a kid. Like, are you crazy? Are you just about to do that? You know, like, of course not. Because we are supposed to appreciate so much the love and grace of God that he would choose to free us like that. So now sanctification, we defined as being set free from the power of sin. So sin is a part of our human nature. But when Christ died on the cross, and when we receive that sacrifice, the Holy Spirit becomes alive in us, and so sin does not dominate us anymore. So sin is still there, but it does not dominate us. Why? Because the Spirit is who is dominating us, right? And then we saw also about being set free from the power of the law, where the power of the law is where we want to do things so that we get access or um, uh, we are validated by God. It does not work. Every you, we saw 
Paul's frustration. I want to do good, I can't. I, I try, I want the things I don't want to do, I do. The things I do, I don't want to do. You know, he was, he was just frustrated. And that's what the law does. Because we can never, of our own human nature, fulfill the law. So Christ came, he fulfilled the law. And we saw how we died with Christ and how baptism is a, is a representation of how we died with Christ. So when we are baptized, we go into the water with our sin nature. When we are there, we die. It represents dying with Christ. So when we come out, we leave that sin there and we rise up in the righteousness of Christ, sanctified. Once again, how is sanctification acquired? By faith in the finished work of Christ on the cross. We don't have to do anything else but receive the gift of what happened when Jesus died for us, rose again on the third day. So we are no longer slaves to Christ, to sin. We are alive to God through Jesus Christ. So we are no longer trying to get acceptance from God by doing things or by trying in our own human nature to do well. But we learned that we have choices to make. We have to choose who dominates us. Is it going to be the flesh, the body, or the spirit? And that's a choice each and every one of us has to make. And when we make a choice for Christ, then we are choosing that the spirit will be more dominant in our lives and not the flesh. Okay? So, it says in six, Romans 6, 12 to 14, do not let... That's a choice. Sin control the way you live. Do not give in to sinful desires. Do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead, give yourselves completely to God. For you were dead, but now you have new life. So use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. Sin is no longer your master, for you no longer live under the requirements of the law. Instead, you live under the freedom of God's grace. And what's the conclusion on the matter? Philippians 2, 12 to 13. So then, my dear ones, just as you have always obeyed my instructions with enthusiasm, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation. What does that mean? That is cultivate it. Bring it to full effect. Actively pursue spiritual maturity. That's the amplified version. With awe-inspired fear and trembling, using serious caution and critical self-evaluation to avoid anything that might offend God or discredit the name of Christ. For it is not your strength, but is God who is effectively at work in you, both to will and to work. That is, he is strengthening you, energizing you, creating in you the longing and ability to fulfill your purpose for his good pleasure. So we have a role to play. It's not just now we sit back and, yeah, laser fair. You know. So then, <coughs> now we are in Romans 8. And we read the beginning part of Romans 8, but I will read it again. So all this to say, Romans 8, 1. Therefore, there is no condemnation, no guilty verdict, no punishment for those who are in Christ Jesus, who believe in him as personal Lord and Savior. So the verdict is not guilty. When the highest court declares you not guilty, you get out and move on with your life, and nobody has the right to condemn you. On Tuesday, Sam referred to the Supreme Court ruling. For two weeks, we've been watching the shenanigans of 
the judges bringing evidence, Zui bringing others hot air, others Zui. It was crazy. For two whole weeks, that's what we were watching. Us guys just wanted to know who is the president. <laughs> then on Tuesday, they came at 12 o'clock and they kept time. I was very impressed. <laughs> no choir. <laughs> Frank, you should have gone with your guitar. <laughs> and, you know, they stood there, or rather they sat and declared, on this count, no guilty. It does not matter what you think. On this count, not guilty. All eight. You know, these guys were so frustrated. They were like, even we couldn't be given one. No. Martha Kome has said, not guilty. And so now what happens when you come out of that court? You can hold press conferences. You can do what you want. Immediately, the ascension committee has started their work. It is done. And that's how it is. God's court is the highest court. He's declared you not guilty. But either we keep bringing ourselves back. Are you sure, Martha? Did you see Ruto going there to confirm? Never. <laughs> it's done. Even Raila could not fight it. And I thank God that this time everybody accepted the, whatever was, whether it was justice or not, it's the, it's the rule of the law. So now, either we accept what Christ has done for us, or we continue with the Lord doing things to try and get God to accept us. And even worse, when we judge other people based on what our understanding of things is. Christ died for them too. You know, and we need to accept it. And that's it. It's a done case. We can sit down and say, oh, the committee will do this. But it is done. It is done and they are free. Because the word says there is therefore no guilty verdict. And there is no punishment. That's what no condemnation means. So you have been declared not guilty on all accounts. It's time to live like it. Live free. Amen? Now, it says there that there is now no, con in the New King James Version, there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Right? So I had my circles. This time I drew them before. <laughs> I discovered I'm not a very good artist. I don't know if the guys on that side can see. My sufurias at night. <laughs> <laughs> I looked for the three different sizes, and there we are. <laughs> I thought this sufuria was so big. Kumbe is so small. <laughs> I think you can only boil an egg. So we said, I am a what? I am a what, which is the real you? I am a spirit. And then you have a? And you live in a? Right. So, you guys are good students. I'm impressed. So, if this is me, most of the time I say it, we get it wrong. You think this is one boy. It's her house. It's her house. You can take care of it. You can feed it well. It helps you do the things you need to do, but this is not me. I am a spirit. Yes, it looks neater. <laughs> and then I have a soul. And I live in a body. Now, just to explain, in, this, in here in the spirit is where the Holy Spirit comes and dwells when we accept him as Lord and Savior. The soul is what? Mind, what else? Emotions, what else? And your will. 
This is your body. Now body plus all its desires make what? Flesh. So flesh here plus desires equals flesh. So that is what this scripture is referring to. It says, there is therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. So there is no condemnation for those walking according to that spirit part of you, which is controlled by the Holy Spirit. And then there is the, those who walk according to the flesh you've chosen, and it affects the way we think, as we'll see later on. So now the flesh, sometimes we always think it's those bad things we don't want to do or do or know. It also includes the law. Those things we think we can do to gain approval from God. So if I wake up every morning and have my quiet time and give myself a pat on the back, I feel good. That's flesh. If I don't, I feel bad. Flesh. Like, it is finished. It is finished. You just come back to God and tell him, God, help me. I need to fall in love with your word. I'm not waking up as a routine. I want to receive your word and have it active in my life, not as a routine where I'm trying to get points from God. So Romans 8, 2 to 5. For the law of, of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, the law could not work because our sinful nature was so powerful, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. He condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. So once again, we see the power of God in sending Christ to die on the cross to condemn sin. It was a requirement of the law, just as I explained, because the law required he dies on a cross, he sheds his blood, and he is buried in a grave. So it is essential to understand that that is complete. So the Amplified Version defines condemned sin. It says he condemned sin in the flesh as he subdued it, overcame it, deprived it of its power over all who accept that sacrifice. And therefore, that's why verse 4 says we are free to live not according to our flesh, but by the dynamic power of the Holy Spirit, but according to the Holy Spirit. So now we are not moving from living in the flesh to now living, I don't know what. It's according to the dynamic power of the Holy Spirit. So how do we tell if we are living according to the flesh or according to the Spirit? Romans 8, 5 to 13 says, those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things. So now the mind, the emotions, the will are affected either by the Spirit or by the body, depending on which we choose as dominant. So if we choose to activate our spirit and live constantly in the Holy Spirit and in his presence and in his guidance, then he has an effect on our soul. So what happens when things come from the body or from outside? When disease comes, then the spirit, the word in there says, I'm healed. By the stripes of Jesus Christ, I'm healed. Or when somebody tries to discourage you and make you feel like you're not worth it, what is in the spirit comes out and says, I will not bow my head in shame because God has not allowed me to bow my head in shame. Amen? Amen. So that's how it works. If you're dominated by the sinful nature, then you think about sinful things, including those are sinful things where you put yourself down. 
But those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the Spirit. So letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death. Death, why? Because you'll never feel like you can please God enough. So you die as a person, and eventually it leads to eternal death. But letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. For the sinful nature is always hostile to God. You know, like we said, when you want to live according to the sinful nature, you won't listen to God. You'll be like, hey, just sit over there, candle, and wait. It never did obey God's laws, and it never will. That's why those who are still under the control of their sinful nature can never please God. But you, you are not controlled by your sinful nature. You are controlled by the Spirit if you have the Spirit of God living in you. And Christ lives within you, so even though your body will die because of sin, the Spirit gives you life just because you have been made right with God. The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, verse 12, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. For if you live by its dictates, you will die. But if through the power of the Spirit you put the deeds of your sinful nature to death, you will live. So when we live according to or are dominated by the sinful nature, there's a few things that happen. Our minds are set on what the flesh desires. That's what verse 5 says. Another version says, then you only pursue what benefits the flesh. But when you're living according to the Holy Spirit, your mind is dominated on what the Spirit desires. Your passions become the Spirit's passions and desires. When you live according to the flesh, you're letting your sinful nature control your mind. Like you have chosen, your mind, your emotions, and your will will be controlled from the outside. It is a decision. On the other hand, when you let the Spirit command, control your mind, it leads to life and peace. Yeah? So it's a choice. And then, of course, if we choose to live according to the flesh, again, we're choosing hostility to God. The mindset focused on the flesh fights God's plans. That's what the Passion Translation says. And refuses to submit to his direction because it cannot. The flesh cannot submit to God, only the Spirit. The Spirit of God lives in you. If you choose to live according to the Spirit, he directs you and he guides you. That's what verse 9 says in the Amplified Version. So the mind, the place of our mindset is so important. And just this week I was talking to some coach and I was discovering the power of the mind is so important. And all starts from what we are allowing to rule and reign in us. You will find those weeks where you have, like you've said, if you have two dogs, you feed one. Where you fed the flesh... Through Netflix, we've fed any the things we've been watching, the music we've been listening, we've not been in the word. The, the mind and the emotions get affected by that. It affects how you think about things, how you see yourself. Then the time you've been spending with God and all that, it, even if things come against you, you feel, I can do this through Christ who strengthens me. Yeah? And verse 13 to 14 in the Amplified Version says of chapter 8, for if you are living according to the impulses of the flesh, you're going to die. But if you are living by the power of the Holy Spirit, you are habitually putting to death the sinful deeds of the body. You will live forever. So it's not like we wake up and we are 100%. We are holy simply because of what Christ did. But as we do these things, putting the flesh to death, we are habitually putting to death the sinful deeds of the body. So that at some point the spirit will come now and be the one that takes over and rules us and reigns in us. So, 
Verse 14 says, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. So the mark of a son of God is being uh, taken control over by the Holy Spirit where he's the one who guides you. Now here we are not saying that I check how much I'm led by the Spirit to determine if I'm a son of God. We are saying you are a son of God if you are born again. So you are being led by the Spirit. Whether you're hearing it or not is another matter. But the Holy Spirit is always leading. So it just depends on how much room you're giving for the Holy Spirit to lead. So who is the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. So there's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And I was seeing this, I was like, sometimes it's so difficult to understand, but I thank God I'm also a triune being, so I know it's possible. See, I'm spirit, soul, body. You like you, whether you get it or not, that's me. So even us, <laughs> whether we get it or not, God is God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. But his is different because each person is fully God. Each person is distinct, yet they are one. The Holy Spirit is not an it. It is not something. He's not a feeling. He's a he. He's a person. So the Holy Spirit was there at creation. Genesis 1, 12, 1, 1 to 2, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty, and darkness covered the deep waters. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. He was there at creation, but he was actually there from the foundations of the earth. God has been there since the foundations of the earth. He was also the power working with Jesus as he lived his life on the earth. So spirit was present at, at Jesus' baptism on three, Luke 3, 22, when John baptized him because it says the Holy Spirit descended in bodily form like a dove upon him. And a voice came from heaven which said, you are my beloved son, in you I am well pleased. That's Luke 3, 22. And then Luke 4, 1, then Jesus being filled with the Holy Spirit returned from the Jordan and was led by the spirit into the wilderness. So after the spirit came upon him, led him into the wilderness for 40 days of fasting. And when he finished fasting, then Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and news of him went out throughout all the surrounding region. Jesus also testified of himself later in Luke chapter 4. He said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovery of sight to the blind to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the accepted, acceptable year of the Lord. And he said to them, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. So Jesus depended on the Holy Spirit to carry out his ministry. How much more should we be to live daily life? Everything he did was with the power of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit leading and guiding him. And the Holy Spirit is the power that also rose Jesus Christ from the dead. Romans 8.11 says, the spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by the same spirit living with you. So he is the same power that rose Jesus Christ from the dead. He is also the same power that lives in me. So what is the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives? <coughs> so the Holy Spirit gives us the power to witness. So he convicts me of my sin. I become born again. Then he gives me the power to witness. I witness to somebody else. They give their lives to Christ. By the power of the Holy Spirit, they also witness. And that is how the gospel carries on. Then he reminds us of things. He teaches us all things. We'll see the scriptures and he helps us to pray. 
John 14, 26 says, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I say to you. John 14, 26. I remember Nyakeo had asked me this verse. That's what I'm repeating for her. <laughs> so John 14, 26, he leads us, he guides us into all, th all things. So when we go back to Romans 8.14 and say for as many as are led by the spirit of God, these are the sons of God, that's what we are talking about. You are a son of God. When you are a son, you cannot live life by yourself. Jesus gave the Holy Spirit. John 16.12-14 to 14 says there is so much more I want to tell you, but you can't bear it now. Jesus is talking to his disciples and to us. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. Jesus has told you who will guide you into all truth. But we are looking for other means. He has said he will not speak on his own, but he will tell you what he has heard. So he will tell what the Father is saying to us concerning today, concerning this week, concerning where he wants, what he wants us to do. He will tell you about the future. Now, I don't know how many times we make use of that promise. Like Jesus, you said, the Holy Spirit will tell me about the future. And that's what prophecy and things like that are about. He will bring me glory by telling you whatever he receives from me. So basically, God wants to be involved in our lives. And he's given us the tool, the person who is here to help us live the life he wrote for us from the foundations of the earth. But we are not allowing him full control. Jesus did what he saw the Father do. We basically have the same ability to serve God because of the Spirit living in us. The Holy Spirit is always guiding us, leading us. Because we are sons of God, but we need to tune in, like Sam said earlier. We need to tune in. However, the Holy Spirit is a gentleman. He will not force his, he'll not shout. I'm trying to speak, listen. Okay, sometimes he will shout. He'll bring a circumstance. He'll be forced to sit <laughs> and listen. But he's a gentleman. He doesn't. It's for us to allow him. It's like how we pray for the Holy Spirit to be in our midst when we are meeting up. He's here, but we give him permission to move. Because the earth is our dominion. So unless we give him dominion to move, he won't. So the more we let him guide us, the more we learn how he guides. How does he guide us? He guides us through scripture. So he reveals scripture and how we can apply to our lives and how we can apply to our situations. Then he also leads through the inward witness. Now the inward witness is that thing people say, I had a feeling. I just knew. For example, the inward witness is how you know you're born again. Nobody can argue with you whether you're born again or not. You know. From the day you came and said, Jesus, I give you my life, I am a sinner, whatever prayer you prayed, you had what uh, Kenneth Hagin calls a no-soul salvation. You know. Nobody can argue with you. Then there's the inward voice, which is called a still, small voice. But the most common way that the Holy Spirit leads us is through the word, and through that inner witness, an inner confirmation of something. So he gives us no soul salvation, and he walks with us as we go through life. So we should be careful when talking about the Holy Spirit, we don't talk about feeling, I feel, because feeling is a voice of the body. Or I think, because that is a voice of the mind. The voice of the Spirit is that inward witness, that inward voice. We should be careful, we should be clear. Our conscience is part of that inward witness. So for example, I was thinking of trying to think of examples of this. So the inward voice, 
there's one day I was leaving my house. And when I got to the gate, if I turn left, I'll go towards Kilimani Valley Arcade. If I turn right, Westlands. So if I'm going to Kilimani, I will turn left. And I know I always turn left. Then I had something tell me, turn right. But who is one boy? But why? <laughs> but I mean, I'm already turning as I'm arguing. <laughs> so when I just, I turned left, then I hit, I don't know what that road is called, but it's more of a main road. Immediately, I had gunshots. Gunshots and a guy running here trying to run away holding a gun. So he's shooting as he's running. I'm like, God, why didn't I listen to you? I know sometimes when you have that in the voice, it was not a feeling. I didn't feel today, let me go this way. No, it was, I had turn right. Not in my ear, but in my spirit. And you know, as we learn how God guides, then we just, you know, I'd rather just turn right and have to go longer than go find people shooting each other for nothing. Like, so what if it was a waste of my time? You know, like, let us just learn to obey. If something is not according to the, against the word of God, just let's obey. You know, another example, although this is a while ago, I was asking, I woke up and I thought of this and then I didn't write it down, I forgot. I was sitting in the car asking the Holy Spirit to remind me and he did. Inward witness. So, a few years ago, we had, now I realized many years ago and I checked it, the Westgate for me. At the time, I was living in London. So I was on the way to church for worship team rehearsal. Then when I got on the train, I was actually the only person in the carriage. Then I got an unction, like people say, to pray. So me, I'm in London. I prayed in tongues. In fact, I was the only one there. I prayed. I'm like, what is this? Kwani, am I supposed to, you know that time also we just had a bombing. And I'm like, am I supposed to get out of this train? What am I supposed to do? But I didn't feel that. I just felt, let me pray. So I prayed in tongues. Then I got to church. We had rehearsal. Then I told guys, I don't know what it is. But just pray for your home country. Let's pray. Each of us, you pray for Nigeria, you pray for Ghana, because we're all different nations. Pray. So me, I left there, now I'm good. Then I was going to my friend's place for a birthday party for the son. He's a Kenyan. And he tells me, have you seen what has been happening in Nairobi? I'm like, what? Westgate, there was a bombing. I was like, that's it. And then later on, I talked to my brother. He's like, hey, me, I'm, I just left that place. My mom was telling me she was planning to leave Parkland Sports Club, drive past there, see she was going well home. I was just like, I don't know what he did. I don't know. I will never know. But I know that I got that action to pray and I obeyed it. And I thank God even I was on the tube, that courage alone, because maybe I would have started feeling shy to pray. You know, like, let's just, that action comes. And I found, especially when you're in a place of prayer, a lot, that it just comes and that's it. You follow it. Moving on. So that's how the Spirit speaks. Psalms 32, 8 to 9 says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will guide you with my eye. Do not be like the horse or like the mule, which have no understanding, which must be harnessed with bit and bridle, else they will not come near you. Now, these are the kind of verses that make me look at the Passion Translation or the message. Because <laughs> I think it will be so harsh and true. But this one was actually very gracious. It says, I hear the Lord saying, I will stay close to you, instructing you and guiding you along the pathway for your life. I will advise you along the way and lead you forth with my eyes as your guide. So don't make it difficult. Don't be stubborn when I take you where you've not been before. 
Don't make me tag you and pull you along. Just come with me. So let us listen. And when we miss it, we just come back and say, Lord, I'm sorry, next time I'll listen. And we continue. Do not condemn yourself. And if you can't sense his leading, maybe we need to check whether there's any offense against God, against the Holy Spirit that is causing us not to hear his voice. But let's keep a tender spirit. It is intentional. You know, like if you keep drinking hot tea, you see your tongue, soon you need hotter tea. No, let us be gentle with ourselves and keep in touch with the spirit. Isaiah 30, 21 also says, your ears shall hear a word behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. Whenever you turn to the right hand or whenever you turn to the left. So that thing I had turned right. It is right there in Isaiah. <laughs> ah, but always remember he will lead you in line with the word of God. <coughs> Sonship and adoption. Verse 15. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. So while righteousness is right standing before God, adoption is relationship with God. So now he's brought us even into relationship. We are members of God's family. We are able to come to him and say, Our Father. Now, most people think of adoption as, um, there was a story I was listening as I was listening to some pastor this weekend. You're saying, there's this child who was born in the family and was adopted and kept saying, you're just adopted. Then he came back with a comeback. <laughs> At least they didn't get stuck with me. They chose me. <laughs> you're chosen. You're chosen. You're chosen. He's not stuck with you. And in the Roman world, of the first century, this is a, by John Stott. In the Roman world of the first century AD, an adopted son was a son deliberately chosen by his adoptive father to perpetuate his name and inherit his estate. He was not wit inferior to a son born in the ordinary course of nature and might well enjoy the father's affection more fully and reproduce the father's character more worthily. So God deliberately chose us. It's not about doing, acting in a certain way, you are a son. You are in relationship with the king of kings. How do we receive this adoption? By faith. By faith in the finished work of Christ on the cross. That is it. Verse 17 at the end it says, Indeed, if we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. So, verse 18, Yet, what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will reveal to us later. For all creation is waiting eagerly for that future day when God will reveal who his children really are. Against its will, all creation was subjected to God's curse. But with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. For we know that all creation has been groaning, as in the pains of childbirth, right up to the present time. And we believers also groan. Even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory, for we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. We too wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as his adopted children, including the new bodies he has promised. We are given this hope when we were saved. But if we look for something we don't yet have, we must wait patiently. The message version says, that's why I don't think there's any comparison between the present hard times and the coming good times. 
The created world itself can hardly wait for what is coming next. Everything in creation is being more or less held back. God reigns it in until both creation and all the creatures are ready and can be released at the same moment into the glorious times ahead. Meanwhile, the joyful anticipation deepens. All, of, all around us, we observe a pregnant creation. These difficult times of pain throughout the world are simply birth pangs. But it's only around us, but it's not only around us, it's within us. The Spirit of God is arousing us within. We are also feeling the birth pangs. These steroid and barren bodies of ours are yearning for full deliverance. We are enlarged in the waiting. We, of course, don't see what is enlarging us, but the longer we wait, the larger we become, and the more joyful our expectancy. So the same as pregnant moms, like there's an excitement. You know there's something coming, you know? Because we have experienced in part the presence of God, the Holy Spirit, but it's, we know there's more. Like it's not, we are, we are living free, but we know there is more because we live in a foreign, foreign world. <laughs> so we groan for the fullness of it. Yeah? We feel this especially when we lose our loved one. We are like, we don't get it. But we know there is more. And now because we understand the gift of sonship, what happens is he's not trying to demean the hard times. He's just saying, look at it from the light of eternity. When you look from eternity, the glory, the goodness, like it's going to come to fullness. It makes the present day troubles dim. They are not non-existent, but they dim. He's not trying to demean human suffering. He's saying that the glory that is coming is much, much greater. And yet we know this is how we'll receive our resurrection bodies. This is how we will move on to the next, but still, you know, we are like, when? Lord, come, Lord Jesus, you know? And it is likened to a groaning in the pains of childbirth. We cannot lose hope. We know that eternity is real. We know that heaven, where we will experience God's presence to the full, is real. Wayne Grodham said that heaven is a place where God makes his presence fully known. So if we love God's presence here, that's where it will be fully known. It's almost like... When we receive the full gift of sonship, we have to wait for our inheritance to come to the fullness. So even if you're a son, you never receive your full inheritance until your time comes. Prince Charles was not King Charles until last week. Now he has come into the fullness of his inheritance on earth. Otherwise, he was just in waiting. He had fun doing it. You know, <laughs> he's in waiting. And it's the same for us. We must wait patiently, but confidently, knowing what is there for us. So, I'm almost done. <laughs> Romans 8, 26 to 30. Meanwhile, the moment we get tired in the waiting, God's spirit is right alongside, helping us along. If we don't know how or what to pray, it doesn't matter. He does our praying in and for us, making prayer out of our world, worldless size, our aching groans. He knows us far better than we know ourselves. Here again, we see the ministry of the Holy Spirit. John 14, 16 calls him the helper, the comforter, the advocate, intercessor, counselor, strengthener. He teaches us all things. He will help us remember all things. And it is so sad when we despair and leave our faith, our Christian life alone, when there is a helper who has been given to us. When we don't know how to pray, we're told, come to him in groaning, whether it's in tongues, whether it's an actual groan of really, I can't, I can't do this anymore, but we have to learn to come to him. Acknowledge he knows us better than ourselves. I don't know why we think we surprise him. 
He knows us. Okay, verse 29 to 30. God knew what he was doing from the very beginning. Beginning, He decided from the outset to shape the lives of those who love him along the same lines as the life of his son. So the son stands first in the line of humanity he restored. He's the firstborn. We see the original and intended shape of our lives there in him. After God made that decision of what his children should be like, he followed it up by calling his people by name. And when he had called them by name, he served them on a solid basis with himself. And then after getting them established, he stayed with them to the end, gloriously completing what he had begun. So God knew stuff from the beginning. That's why we can be sure that everything works out for the good of those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. His purpose is for us to live a life led by the Holy Spirit to accomplish the things he has for us. Let's stop overthinking purpose and think, am I living it or not? Living it today by the guidance of the Holy Spirit. He knew us in advance. He knew who we are, yet he chose to give, give his son for us. Let us accept it. And this is his, person, his um, purpose. Let's stop dissecting it. His purpose is for us to become more and more like his son. The New Living Translation says, and having chosen them, he called them to come to him. Having called them, he gave them right standing with himself. Having given them right standing, he gave them his glory. So we are chosen, we are called, we are righteous, we are glorified. I think some said when we have the Holy Spirit living in us, we have the glory. We are glorified. So what shall we say about such wonderful things as this? Because we should be like, oh my God, how amazing. That's how we should be right now. I hope that's where we are. If God is for us, who can ever be against us? Amen. Since he did not spare even his own son, but he gave him up for us all, wouldn't he also give up everything else? Give us everything else? Like, I've come to a place where if I don't have something, I just think it's either not the time or it's not for me. Because seriously, the love God has for me, he will not on purpose hold back something. Like, for what? Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? No one. For God himself has given us right standing with himself. Who then will condemn us? No one. For Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us, and he is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for us. So the question is, can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Yeah, nothing. Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? As the scriptures say, for your sake, we are killed every day. They were being martyred a lot at that time. No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. It says that we are more than conquerors. Why? Because our end victory is so great. <coughs> that eternal perspective when we look now, look at eternally, our victory is so great. And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life. Death cannot separate us. We go to him. Neither angels nor demons. Neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. So we cannot doubt that he will fight for us. Why? 
he revealed this beautiful plan that he had from the foundations of the earth when the law was set up, yet he still had a plan how it will now be free of charge, case closed, live like I've never sinned, and live for him in fullness. When God has given us right standing with himself, what is condemnation from anyone else? Even if we stick here and say Raila did, Ruto did, it means nothing. Nothing. The present is in, the others we just have to accept. Like, it does not mean we can talk all we want. So condemnation from anybody else is not important. So now I live with the confidence that there is nothing in the universe with the power to separate us from God's love. That's the Passion Translation. I'm convinced that his love will triumph over death, life's troubles, fallen angels, or dark rulers in heaven. There is nothing in our present or future circumstances that can weaken his love. We are fully loved. There is nothing we can do or fail to do that will add or increase God's love for us. He showed it when he gave his son on the cross. There is no power above us or beneath us, no power that could ever be found in the universe that can distance us from God's passionate love, which is lavished upon us through our Lord Jesus, the anointed one. So Paul has understood this love. He's understood this journey of salvation. And he wants us to get the same understanding so that now when we are going into ministry and into what God has called us for, we have such assurance. That's the assurance of salvation. We have such assurance that then I can ask the Holy Spirit, what do I do? And I won't feel like he won't speak to me because yesterday I did. It is finished. I mean, this love that caused God to give his son, his son. The rest of us, by the way, if you're feeling bad being adopted, all of us are adopted. There's only one. <laughs> He's the firstborn, then the rest of us are brought in to be like him. And you know, we need to let this be our understanding so that we move with the power that God has given us. And then we need to keep our focus on eternity. That's also another of my takeouts. So that when things happen around me, I don't now become this person who's now just looking at this thing. And we are not demeaning the things that happen in our lives. Terrible things happen. But keep the light of eternity. We have to do that for this life to make sense. And for us to live it on purpose, to live out the things God has called us to do. So, as we go out into this week, let us remember, we are fully loved. God has given us his very best. We have to receive it and choose to live for him because then we are responding. It says we love him because he loved us first. When we understand that love, that's when we are able to love him back. Amen? Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for your patience. Let's stand up. You know, um, I was listening to this song this morning. Other than the songs you guys sang, which were just so, I was like, hey, these guys, <laughs> they're going the way I want to go. But it says, Ame dibitisha, mimi ni mtoto wake, sinamasha kanaye, kivo chake, msalabani, kilimaliza yote. That's it. He has, dibitisha is to ratify it means it's a treaty, it's a contract, it's an agreement. It is made officially valid that I am a son. And he has no qualms with me. And I have no qualms with him. And his death on the cross finished it all. That is the message of the gospel. That's it. 
And so when we move from here, we are moving in the confidence that the gospel has saved us. And so we are moving in what we said, the first part, we are bold, we are strong, we are confident because we are sons of God. So let's pray. Father, we thank you. Thank you for your great love towards us. Thank you for your plan. And Lord, even as we mull through these words, as we look through Romans 1 to 8 during the week, I just pray that your love will speak out and reach to every heart. Lord, this has been a teaching, so it can seem long. But take it, Lord, and make your word come alive in our hearts. Make it real. Make it real as we walk through this life and through the purpose that you have set for us. That yes, we are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus because he gave his life for us. Thank you, Lord. And so we walk out of here bold with our heads held high as children of the most high God. Chosen, not tolerated. We are chosen, we are not tolerated. And we walk with that boldness. Thank you, Lord. And you know, this is a gift for those of us who have accepted Jesus as Christ and Lord of our lives. But this message is for everybody. Everybody. So if you've not accepted Jesus into your life, still with our eyes closed, and you've been walking in condemnation, thinking that you have to do it yourself, that I have to do better, or I have to do this to be accepted by God, it is not true. Jesus and God banged the gavel. They declared you not guilty. And so you have to walk in that freedom. So if you've not received Jesus as your Lord and Savior and you'd like to do so today, please put up your hand and then we can talk after this. But I don't want to leave anybody out of this opportunity. Anybody? Anybody? Okay. So, Lord, thank you. Reveal your love to us. Reveal your love to us, Lord. And make it true in every way. In Jesus' name. Amen. Come on. Hey, let's appreciate our We can do better than that.